Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the CollectingCars.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Hello and welcome to another Collecting Cars podcast. We're in Los Angeles today and I'm with um, an old buddy of mine uh, whose name many of you will recognise but some of you won't. Um, He's called Brian Scotto. He's a very, very uh, large, tall man um, who has a fascinating story uh, in the automotive media industry because he's one of the brains behind those amazing Jim Carner films. Uh, But I I knew him quite a long time before that and I wanted to sit down and talk to him and, and let him tell us a bit about his journey through car magazines, well, car clubs, and then car magazines, and then ultimately being in charge of what must be the most recognisable automotive media brand around Top Gear or Fast and Furious. He's created a monster. So welcome, Brian. Thanks. I'm happy that you started with all the compliments. I hope the insults are in in now. They'll they'll come in, don't worry, (laughs) in terms of uh, deadlines and stuff like that. Um, So... You, you are um, you're now Mr. Hoonigan, um, which was a spin-off from from those Jim Carmen days. But let's let's go back, start at the beginning. So, where did the bloke who was standing on the Segway, famously with Ken Ken Block drifting around him, where did the passion for cars start? Um, so I grew up in New York City, and uh, that's one of those places that doesn't really, you know, give you the passion for cars. Right? It's just cars are not really a part of the New York city life, but my grandfather was one of those, uh, like, you know, rags to riches types, you know, and he struggled most of his life. And in about the last 10 years of his life, he kind of put together a company with his wife that made a ton of money and he spent all of it on cars. So realized this happened right around the time I was born. So I grew, he, he lived till about, I was eight years old. And, uh, so for those eight years, what cars are we talking about? Um, he, you know, at the time, the coolest thing he had, which I've now learned is not really that great of a car. It was a DeLorean. 
right? But, you know, think about it in the 80s, right? I mean, I was born in 79. So in, in the 80s, a DeLorean, like to be able to sit in there and have the gullwing doors open. I mean, it was like the coolest thing ever. But he had like everything from D-type Jags, E-type Jags, um, Auburns, uh, like just a really wide so collection you, of you stuff. you telling me that the Scotto family had a D-type Jaguar? Yeah. Do you know what they're worth now? Oh, yeah. Don't, don't, let's not even talk about it. Not, not only that, but he had a house in East Hampton in the 80s, <laughs> right, that he bought for $70,000. And when he passed, we sold it a few years later for, I think it was like six hundred or 700000 which, you know, was spread across everyone in the family. And uh, and now, I, last time I zillowed it, it was like $5.5 million. <laughs> so we would have kept his house and all his cars. We'd be in a very good place. We right can now. come back to your 965 and what you bought that for, what it's worth now, so that it can maybe balance the <laughs> yeah, story yeah, out. Yeah. So, so you, you, you've had it in your blood, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things, you know, I loved it as a kid and, you know, I did the rc car thing in my like early teens really kind of enjoyed well, right. that was it petrol or were you electric electric yeah, yeah and what yeah. were you schumachers or what were you what were you driving um rc10s kio show ultimas things like that you know that was kind of that like it was the era of buggies like buggies and like truggies like that was like really cool so um and then to me a kid's just because they look cool right the yeah, cars were never that good no, they weren't I'm, good rc cars but they looked good but they, had, they were like characters in a movie weren't they you had to have them you had yeah, to have yeah, a sand yeah, scorcher yeah. Mm -hmm. how much about that's interesting I learned my basic understanding of vehicle layout and suspension, and everything from RC cars. Mm -hmm. I always sure. maintain. Cause yeah. I remember going to the, I, was, I mentioned this the other day to someone, I was on the alpha four C launch and um, they were describing the spec of the car and it made no sense to me. So he's got double wishbones at the front and he's got a strut at the rear. I'm thinking I've I've seen that before on a car and I couldn't work it out which car it was and I suddenly thought oh, I said Tammy a Hornet <laughs> I was supposed to say the grasshopper <laughs> <laughs> so um, so so RC cars and then did you I never knew this at the time because I I was working with you or for you when you were running a car magazine out in New York but what was your way into motoring journalism after your education yeah so I um you know, I, it was funny. I spent most of college not doing college. Right. So like I went to school to be a mechanical engineer and because I actually wanted to get into that side of automotive, right? Like, Oh, I'm going to design and build stuff and all of that. But I was probably just good of enough of a mechanical engineer to do someone else's math for them. Yeah. Right. Like I realized I was <laughs> never going to be the guy. I was yeah. always going to be the guy behind the guy. And at the time, um, my, I was really into Volkswagens and, and Audis at the time. And I started a Volkswagen Audi club and we were like having events and like doing like things like newsletters. And we wanted to start an actual Volkswagen magazine. So like I'm playing hooky in college. This is key as well. You, you won't acknowledge this, but, but you've all, in the time I've known you, you've always been on the front foot. We use an English phrase about cricket. Basically you're, if you have an idea, you'll go and action it, won't you? Yeah. This is critical. You didn't join a club. You started a club, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think yeah, that's yeah. that's something that you've always done throughout your yeah, career. Yeah, yeah. You, when you have an idea, you just, you just go and do it. What you don't know about Brian is he's how tall are you? Six foot eight. He's six eight. He's 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 basically quite a bit taller than me. Yeah. So when you combine this sort of positivity and urge to do things with physical presence, it's quite a powerful combination, mate. It really is. <laughs> I mean, I guess it works for me. So yeah, there's yeah. definitely times where I've heard other people say, I don't know, Brian's just going to throw his weight around and get this done. And I'm like, I don't know. Is well, that it's, it's, it's the personality and, and your abilities <laughs> that make it happen. But be, being that presence doesn't hurt. No. Say. So, so you, you've, you've made, you've, you've started a club at uni. Yeah. So I'm about at this point, I think I'm 19, 20 years old. And 
I'm doing so-so in school, but I'm putting all my time into this. So like I'm coming home, like I'm in school using the computers at school to like, you know, create flyers to promote events and, and edit videos. And I'm, I'm using all the access I have at school to not actually do my schoolwork. And obviously at the time, my parents are, you know, quite annoyed by this. They're both <laughs> academics, right? Both of them are, are research scientists. Co- flunking college. I'm fl- yeah, yeah. I've actually, at this point, I've already flunked out of one college <laughs> and I've now had to return home for state school right like i'm already at that point you know so and are your um, parents supportive at this point um define supportive <laughs> are they are they are they displaying a a, a quiet disapproval because they feel they ought to but it's underpinned by a trust in the fact they know that you'll find a way no i don't think so at this point i think at this point my parents are hoping that you know you grow out of it i grow out of it yeah. right and and there was finally this moment where my father sat down and said you know, maybe school's not really for you. Maybe you should join a union, like a plumber's union or electrician's union. Cause I could see at this point, he just wanted me off his books, right? Like he just was like, I don't want to support him anymore. And they also had moved. So I, I grew up in New York city and while I was in college, my parents decided to leave New York city. So I was just there still by myself kind of thing. I think my dad was just like, I just, let's just get rid of this. And you know, not to jump ahead, but I remember like four years later, I drove home and brought a Bentley to the house, you know, as, as a press car. And my dad's like, well, I guess it all worked out, you know, so. The quiet one finger wave to the parent, isn't it? We've <laughs> yeah, all done exactly. that. <laughs> so, but no, and it was, I was really, really passionate about cars and, and really like not just cars, but the community around cars. Like I love that part of it. Like, so I had a car club. We only had about... 25, 30 members in it. And we were really close when we were thick as these, but we would have these massive events that we'd invite hundreds of other cars to, you know, and this is way before the like cars and coffee era, right? We're talking like early 2000s, late and it's, 90s. And it's VW Audi is, is the- Volkswagen is, Audi was what we were, we were all about. And then we just, I don't know why, it was just the thing I got into. passion for understeer or what was it? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, we like, I liked either a lot of understeer or engines placed a good foot and a half in front of the tires. That's, yeah, backwards 911s. That's yes, what I, that's yes. what an Audi basically is. And um, no, but it was, uh, it was this thing I really enjoyed throwing the events. And we would do, we used to do this thing called full moon, full throttle. And um, it was come and meet us at this. Basically, it was a parking lot off the highway at midnight on the Friday closest to the full moon. And we would just drive through all the back roads of Long Island in the middle of the night. And like I look back at it now and the fact that no one died. I'm so lucky. We would do it once a month. And we ended up doing, I think, 26 of them before it eventually we shut them down because we would have 220 cars show up. And like they realize, like this isn't like rural, you know, area. This is like Long Island, New York. And we found like some white, like you know, about like twenty six miles of windy road, like kind of through, you know, the the Suffolk section of Long Island. And it was it was nuts. And you know that we had, I think we had two car accidents at the end of them. And unfortunately, one of them I was involved in. And it was like, okay, after that, we're not going to do it anymore. I think well, we should shut these down. But isn't isn't it amazing that now we look back on those times? And it's a privilege to have had them because we realize that our children will not enjoy that no. kind of renegade behavior, yeah, yeah, which yeah. I think is a shame because yeah. I think you have to, you have to learn through your mistakes. Yeah. Um, but also in a, in a, we're in a similar space, actually we project a very aggressive form of driving through our brands, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yet, so you could argue we're responsible for behaviors. I know you've, you've wrestled with that as well. Yeah. I have, but I, I, will, I will not change the way I do things. I behave responsibly on a circuit. I don't, I don't try and promote it on the road. Yep. 
and and I'm fine with that. I think you're the same, aren't you? Yeah, you know, and I think that's something that comes with age, right? Like yeah. I'm at this point now where I see younger kids doing really dumb stuff that I know is just bad for the community as a whole. And especially now, like when I was a kid, you do something dumb. And as long as there was no one there to catch you, it didn't happen. It was like a, you know, a tree falling in the woods. Now it's on TikTok and Instagram and it, you know, it kind of really creates this image around things. And, you know, in California, we have this massive issue with like takeovers where kids go into intersections and do Talk donuts. us through the takeover culture because that came up in a conversation the other day and I just couldn't believe it. It's, it's, it's effectively... So a- it, it, it comes from Oakland and it's been around for a really long time. It used to be called Sideshows and um, Sideshow culture was this thing out of Oakland um, really kind of rooted in like hip-hop car culture and started, I think really in like the eighties and then had like a revival in like the late nineties, early two thousand. But they take a crossroads, don't they? Yeah. So they find an intersection and then just really kind of do donuts in the middle. Whole crew comes out and kind of watches. Right. And it used to just like, you know, street racing always kind of happened in the back area. You know, it was like, it was in the industrial areas. It was, it was kind of far away from anything. What's now happened with takeovers is they're happening on major streets in California. So it's like, I mean, you're now seeing it and I know it's not just California, it's Atlanta, it's New York. Um, I actually just saw a video the other day where they were doing it in front of the Capitol building in, in Philadelphia. And they so get it's such like, a deep crowd that really the authorities can't get into it. Right. Can they? So that's what happens is the crowd prevents the authorities from getting in. And if it was just guys doing donuts, it'd be one thing. But the problem is, is that there's this crowd interaction with the cars and nine times out of 10, someone gets hit by the car. And that's where it just becomes this nightmare situation because, and it almost seems like getting hit by a car. It's like, a, I think the best way it's like running with the bulls, right? Yeah. It's like, why would you do this? But people seem to want to go do it. It's a great it, analogy. You know? It's like the Pamplona yeah. bull run, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. And I, it's one of those things where, and I've had conversations because for Hoonigan, you know, we always have been there will like, be people wearing hoonigan t-shirts on the front of row course. of the crowd right and that's something that like my uncle said this to me when we when i first started hoonigan he said you know you, you got to be ready for that day when something bad happens and your brand's attached to it he's like so you have to be able to sit there and say we've never done that like we have always been on the up and up and we and even though we love driving like that and the aggressive driving we're not doing it in the public streets she's like because at some point it's going to happen and a you know and like a reporter is going to show up to your door and ring your bell at three in the morning and you're going to have to sit there and say yeah watch all our videos we've never done that and then yeah. that's it's it's a it's a difficult part for it because the 42 year old me looks at these kids and says you're idiots why are you doing this but i can still put myself back at 22 year old me and realize i would have been a part of it right but then so how do you balance knowledge with hypocrisy this is it's this weird yeah, area no, it's isn't tough it? it's tough I, I think so but I, I like this goes into one of those things and this is where hoonigan tries to help right because if i sit there and i tell people don't do that that's bad right they look at us and say well screw you like you guys are doing it and we don't have that access so we started doing things like okay we're gonna have events like um you know we do this event called burnyard yeah. we were doing them here in irwindale where you can come and i think we were charging people like 20 bucks and for 20 bucks you can you know spend tires as long as you want we built out you know full-on uh, stadium seating you know so you've got bleachers you you're coming in now you got six thousand people watching you you got a you know you got a pa there so someone's over the mic saying your name like you can get the whole thing you can come out kill tires so like for us 
we realized that, and I've always said this about like hooning or hoon culture. And we used to have this sticker called hooning's not a crime, right? And it's it's an homage to skating's not a crime, right? Or skateboarding's not a crime. And the whole concept about skateboarding's not a crime that people need to understand was that like the actual act of skateboarding is not bad, right? It's not like robbing someone or killing someone. Like morally, it's not bad. The problem is that when it happens in, you know, private property and it destroys stuff, well, then that's problematic. But look at where skateboarding is today. I grew up skateboarding and skateboarding was the sport that no one accepted. Now, I bet you there's three skate parks within a one mile radius of us. And there's a bunch of dads there with their kids getting them prepped for the Olympics. Like the sport has changed, yeah, right? Exactly. And I suppose it, it's this, there, but, but there will always be a fascination with engaging with that, the renegade roots of, course. of, of an activity, you know, and I, I, you know, in the past, I I did silly things on the street when I was younger, and and I probably yeah. did sideways shots for cameramen on the yeah, streets because yeah. we couldn't afford tracks. Yep. And I'd be lying if I said this: if you give me a big wide open corner at Silverstone to slide a car around, yeah, it's fine. But if I'm doing it between a load of trees and walls, there's just this. It makes it more real. Mm -hmm. And I suppose also it's a canvas on which you can really paint your talent. You know, yep. if, you're, if you're the one that can really do it yep. in the in the rough, that's how you separate yourself from the competition, yep. isn't it? So, I mean, look, in that, you have a good transition to the Giancana world. I mean, it, that's what made Giancana great, right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the first one was cool, right? Which was the, like, you know, open airfield. But that was, people had seen that before. But it was cool because Ken was driving the car in a different way. But it wasn't until we did Giancana 5 in the streets of San Francisco yeah. that it really exploded. I mean, that was when it went from car guys going, oh, you do the Giancana films? To me going to, like, a party with friends who have nothing to do in the automotive world who'd say, oh, you, that thing in San Francisco with the car? When you close the bridge? Yeah, when you close the bridge, right? That seems like there's no, we did no trip. We did no kind of cool driving on the bridge, but everyone was just amazed that we could close a bridge, yeah. you know? And I, I think that there's something, like you said, there's something about racetracks that inherently feel safe and you lose some of the danger. And that I think is probably, you know, it's what makes the Gymkhana and, films and exciting. Also in a filmic sense, if you've, if you've just got space around a car, it doesn't look dramatic and fast, does it? You've yeah, got to yeah, have yeah. stuff in proximity. Right, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But to come back to, uh, how, how did you get from having your college car club to working at Zero to 60 then? What, what, what did you go through? Did you have a career? Did you do something different so, or did you get straight in there? Um, it was really a, I took a journalism class because we wanted to make a car magazine like on our own which now that i understand the world of magazines like why would we try to do that but at the time it's like yeah we're gonna print our own car magazine sell our own ads sounds like a great idea um i think we sold one ad and wrote six articles and never printed the mac but i was like oh well i'll go take journalism classes in college so that i can learn about all this and i actually really just i really enjoyed the class and um long story short uh but there was a professor i actually got a d in the class because I didn't, I didn't show up to my final because I was like busy fucking off with something else. <laughs> there's, a and, note, there's a note for Mike Spinelli, by the way, he got a D in his journalism class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you always had reservations, Spinelli. I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I got a D in class and my journalism teacher, I, I had registered for the minor in journalism and I deregistered mainly because I was just trying to get out of school as fast as possible at this point. So if I had to retake the course, I'm like, I don't, why bother? And my journalism professor reached out to me over the summer and said, hey, I saw you deregistered for the minor. I'd love to know why. I was like, well, you gave me a D. 
And she's like, well, you didn't hand in your final paper. And then she's like, and it's like deadline oriented journalism. Like you, that's the whole point. You can't put in a story tomorrow about what happened yesterday. Like it just doesn't work. And I was like, fair enough. And, um, but she said, listen, she said, you know, you have a good knack for this. And she's like, I really like your writing. And I, I think you really like this. She's like, I, I know that your other, your other major is engineering and I know kind of how you're doing there. And it seems like this is something you really want. She's like, and you would have had an A if you would have just hand your damn stuff in. She's like, so finish out the minor and I'll retroactively fix you to a B so that you don't have to retake this class. And honestly, it wasn't the minor that did it. It was like having in this big school, I went to Stony Brook University at this point. It was this massive school, like, you know, tens of thousands of people. And to just have this one professor tell you, you know, you're good at something that no one had ever told me I was good at. Realized growing up, both my parents are scientists. I was very much like a math and science person. English was never like a that's what we call it here is yeah. English. I don't yeah. know. Like that's what our language classes, like we call them English in America, but that was never something that I thought I was good at. I never thought I was good at storytelling. No one ever bothered to tell me that. Right. No. And it's critical. Isn't and it? She it just takes one teacher to inspire uh, you for sure. Changes everything. Yeah. Now, and the funny thing is in the end, I never ended up graduating from college <laughs> because I you was, stop, you take these stories as the narrative builds <laughs> to this beautiful conclusion and you just cut it. Yeah, 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 no, I'm, I'm not that, I'm not the story everyone wants it to be, but, um, I ended up getting an internship at a magazine called Mass Appeal, which was this like cool urban culture mag out of New York. And to compare what year it, is this, so this is 2003, 2003, yeah. 2004, and realized at the time Mass Appeal's main competitor was Vice. This is before Vice became what we all know Vice to be now. Yeah. At the point, Vice... Was Vice a, a, a publication yes, before? Yes, they were a magazine yeah. first, and they were a bunch of weird Canadians making a magazine in New York. We hated them, yeah. but they ended up doing better in the end. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but no, it was this, you know, we were just doing culture magazines, and culture was everything from graffiti to streetwear to, you know, weird, like, you know, kind of... We would touch on politics, but in a weird way. It was just this, like alternative kind of magazine that I really enjoyed. I mean, I wrote everything from articles on um, gentrification in Brooklyn to, you know, stories about, you know, graffiti writers. It was this really broad thing, but like all magazines, advertising is cars. Yeah. So you have, you had to have an automotive section. Yeah. And I happened to know about cars because I was a car kid and I had a car club and I knew how to drive a manual transmission, which no one else knew how to do. So a car showed up, and it wasn't even anything cool. It was like a Scion, right? Came and it was, this was like year one for Scion. Like that when they released that, you know, the shoebox looking thing, yeah. the XB. And it showed up and it was a manual transmission. And no one at the company, like I was an intern. <laughs> no one at the company was like, could well, drive could it. drive it. So they're like, well, can you drive it? And I was still copy, you know, I was still doing copywriting and fact checking. Like I wasn't writing articles at this point. And they're like, yeah, can you, can you drive it and write the review? So that's what I did. And it all started to kind of click. And so next the, thing the, I know. Did they become a car component to this, more of a car component to this magazine after yeah, that? Yeah, so there was a whole section called Whip Appeal, and I ended up, like, editing that. And then I kind of moved up, moved up. And then eventually um, I started writing a bunch of car stuff for a bunch of different magazines. So everyone in New York, so whether it was, like, Vibe or Complex Magazine or Double XL, like, that kind of, like, hip-hop music world that was all involved in cars. I remember how big cars were in hip hop in yeah. like the mid 2000s, right? You got like Pimp My Ride and and all of that. It was really big. You have Ride, Rides Magazine, Dub Magazine. So then I eventually get a job offer to be a senior and editor could, uh, at Rides. Just a European audience is listening to this. Sorry about the background noise, we're in a hotel lobby, but um, the 
these magazines were, you know, a, a single interest siloed magazine in the US had two or three times the circulation of a big car magazine oh. in, in Europe, didn't they? They were huge. I mean, not even in Europe. At the time, Rides Magazine was outselling Car and Driver in the United States. It's amazing. So, like, here I am, the senior editor of a magazine. That honestly, I, I really knew nothing about that space at all. Like, I was into BBS wheels. Like, I was not into like twenty-four inch and twenty-six inch yeah. wheels. But at the same time, here I was, this kid that had basically, you know, dropped out of college and was just trying to be a writer. And I actually really wanted to be a war journalist at the time because realize I'm in journalism school during nine eleven. Yeah. Right. So I was like, I really want it. And like things were just kind of going crazy at the time. And there was all this like embedded journalists. And like, you know, from my point of view, I was like, no, I just want to go over there and just tell the story of what's happening. Instead, I wrote about cars. <laughs> but <laughs> at one point I had noble efforts in life, but but yeah, and uh, it became this, um, you know, it, it like it just kept growing. And when I got to rides, I was young. I was I mean, at the time I felt old because I had spent so many extra years in college because I changed my major a couple of times that I had a bunch of other friends who'd already graduated and were like, you know, making 50 grand a year, which at the time sounded like so much money. And here I was like still in school and kind of like, you know, a bit embarrassed. That like I was still trying to figure my shit out. So when I got to rides, you know, I was 23, 24. And by the time I was 25 years old, I was the editor in chief of three different magazines. And it was just this amazing moment because I was making rides. I had, pitched my publisher on doing a magazine called zero to 60 which is where you came into the picture and then i was also doing donk box and bubble magazine which was this weird culture that popped out of riots and when i asked to do zero to 60 they looked at me and said sure but you also have to make this other magazine and i was like whatever 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 i need to do to make this car so when does zero to 60 start? um 2006 was the I think it was the preview issue in 2007 was the first issue. I think that so this is what this is where I first met Brian because there was this American car magazines always seemed quite staid. I'm suppose English ones were as well, but it was more like an Australian car magazine. It had more of a feel like Motor. If any of the audience know what that mm -hmm. magazine's about, it was a bit irreverent. It was um, it was the phrase you always used to me. It was outside looking in, not inside looking out. And that was right, the, yeah, yeah. the idea that we weren't just puppets for the for the car industry that yeah. wanted to tell the story and and um, I wrote a couple of pieces, but the, the it was a fantastic magazine. There was some quite big names himself. Spinelli was there as well. Um, and it was a lot of fun, wasn't yeah. it? But you, you wrote for us. Tom Ford wrote for us. I mean, and it, for me, you have to understand, it's funny because you dismiss your own British mags. But in the United States, we loved the Brit mags, right? Like the buff books here were, had gotten very boring. And I, and I actually looked at, you know, guys like, you know, there were there were guys at other magazines like Larry went to Road and Track and he told me, you know, like, oh, zero to 60 is the reason like, you know, we rebooted that magazine. We did something different. But it had gotten to this point where, you know, minivan shootouts were cover stories. Yeah. Right. And that, like, why would you want to read that? Like, why did that matter? And it was also this really interesting moment where. The internet was just starting to really come to life, right? So Jalopnik was, Jalopnik and Autoblog had this kind of new energy. So why did, you know, story scoops matter anymore as front page stories? Like we just wanted to make narrative. We just wanted to tell these great stories of going and driving cars. You know I mean? Still to this day, my favorite story that I ever did for Zero to 60 was we 
got the new STI in 2008 when it first came out, you know, when they screwed up the shape of it. And we went, we took it and we drove it from Seattle to Tuktoyaktuk, which is the Arctic Ocean, you yeah. know, you know, the northernmost section of ice road. And it was such an adventure. And like, I look back at it now and like, we could have died. Like we had no idea what we needed to bring with us. It's like, it's just a couple of New York city kids going, yeah, we'll figure this shit out. But it was an adventure and it's what made it like so exciting at the time. And that was the whole thing was like, just tell really good stories. And I think we had, two rules rule one was that nothing needed to be we wanted nothing to be built around hype yeah right so we didn't want to talk about some car just because it was a ton of hype but we also were we also wanted it to be a good story even if you didn't like cars yeah right and i think that that was something that we actually took away from you know from top gear for us like top gear was always that show that like you know they would say like oh but you know your wife also enjoys right which maybe it's a little you know, misogynistic to say that, but it was, there was truth in it, right? That yeah. the person sitting next to you, if they didn't like cars, yeah, they the, still enjoyed the comedy and the narrative. The key that tenet, as you said it. there, is that if you can make car content that appeals beyond car enthusiasts, yeah. that's quite a trick. Not many yeah. people can do it. So when did you, when did you first meet Mr. Ken Block? So this is a really interesting one. It was actually pre zero to 60. It was yeah. still rides magazine. And at the time we were doing, um, we were just trying to put some stories together. And I had heard through the grapevine that Rob Deerdick, it was Rob Deerdick pro skater worked, was one of the top skateboarders at DC shoe company at the time. Yeah. This is before he had his MTV show, which kind of made him famous. Um, but I heard he was going to go do the gumball rally and like, you know, this is early year Gumball Rally. Like, I think Gumball Rally has a very different perception yeah, now. Yeah, it was, it was a bit more of a proper event. Then, but it was it? like, it was this thing you really wanted to go do. And I reached out to DC and I said, hey, I heard Rob's going. It would be fantastic if afterwards we could interview him. And maybe if he's got some photos or anything you guys got, we could do a little front of book story. They're like, okay, cool. An hour later, my phone rings and it's Pam Zam, who was the PR person over there at the time. And she said, hey, listen, uh, Ken Block, uh, said that if you can be in Trafalgar Square by tomorrow, you can get in the back of his car for the gumball rally. And I'm like, what? Uh, okay. And like, first was of all, Ken, I have no Ken, idea. See, Ken in the car world was totally unknown. But, but, there, but was he a big name to you I, then? No, I literally got off the phone and said, I don't know, some guy, I think Kevin Black <laughs> said I can get in the back of his car. I had no clue who this guy was, but I wasn't going to miss out on the opportunity to go to gumball. I go, I convinced my publisher it was a thousand dollar ticket. I took a single backpack and flew to you know flew to london i remember like landing in heathrow and just being in a track like okay i'm gonna figure out the tube for the first time in my life so we you know so uh i had no i had no clue who ken was i went and asked my publisher and i said look i got this opportunity i think it'd be great it's a thousand bucks to fly you know fly to london get on a plane fly out there meet ken for the first time like in the hotel lobby and he's like all right well cool we're gonna like go tomorrow and for like the first day or two i just didn't think ken liked me Cause like I made friends with everybody else on the group, but Ken, like I made friends with his business partner, Damon, like his wife, Lucy, um, Rob, big black, everyone else was there. Ken just like barely talked to me. And then at some point I mentioned rally racing. And what I hadn't understood was that he had been like, you know, starting to rally race and really enjoying it. And then all of a sudden he pulled out his laptop and he's showing me videos of him running some local rallies and all this. And, and we stayed in touch and I kept telling him like, Hey, you know, this gumball rally is cool, but they do this event in the United States called one lap of America where you actually get to like race on racetracks. So you go every day instead of just going to a party, which was fun you get to actually just go to a racetrack and race every day. And he was like, Oh cool. We should do, we should do that together. I was like, Oh, okay, fine.
fine. DC, he's out of DC by then. Is so he? at this point, Ken had had sold uh, DC to Quicksilver, but was still involved as chief brand officer. But he was kind of in this position now where he's, you know, he's enjoying the the money he's made to go have fun and go race cars, right? Yeah. I mean, I think this is his entrance into this world. So this is 2005. So at this point, you know, Jim Connor hasn't come out yet. And actually, most of the noise you're hearing about Rally in America is Travis Pastrana. Yeah. Right. So Ken is like in Travis's shadow in America at this point. It's all about, you know, you know, Travis Pastrana is racing for Subaru. But Ken is super involved in the background. So I, I get involved. It's a little too much now. Keep going. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, we'll take a break in a minute. Keep going. So at this point, I get, you know, I start getting involved in, and I loved rally racing, right? For no other reason than it was the type of cars I liked. Yeah. Right. I mean, when I, it's funny because I'll tell people that I always preferred Alistair Murray, McRae to Colin McRae. Yeah. Just because he drove a Volkswagen. Yeah. Like that crazy golf kit car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. With the Sony graphic, the yellow yep. car with the yep. Sony graphic yep. on it. So, like, I just enjoyed it because I was reading all the British mags and I was watching. We used to have a channel here um, in the US called um, Speed Vision. Yeah. It eventually became Speed, but when it was Speed Vision, we got the WRC program. So Speed TV was called Speed Vision before that, was Speed it? Speed Vision. Speed Network, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was Speed Vision here before it became Speed TV or whatever. And they would play the WRC events. So, I mean, it was just this thing. I love WRC. And I had already, in a before I even had met Ken, I was trying to convince Ford to like get back into rally racing in America. And they looked at me like, no one cares. And then it's funny to think I'm that same person still worked there when we signed the contract, <laughs> which was a lot of fun to look at them across the table and be like, guess someone cares now. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and it was cool. And Ken was very you know integral in the background of what was happening. He went to X Games and said, you know, this sport's super cool. I'm doing it. Travis is doing it. Guys like Dave Mirror getting involved. Like you know, this could be a really cool thing. And you know, and I, I think if X Games had never opened up to allowing for rally to be a part of it no one would still understand what rally was in america yeah. it really helped kind of pave the way and then with colin mccray coming over and was it 2006 you know running in that no fear fear car like that really kind of set it in the u.s was that the barrel roll over the yeah, line the barrel roll and i was sitting right there in line he was coming at me he he rolls and i remember this i remember hearing him find the gear upside down we had i'll Nikki, never forget we had that Grist moment on the podcast yeah and um nicky's yeah. great by the way he's yeah. one of my favorite people well, his podcast is three hours long i could see and we, that and we did and we probably covered a third of the ground what you need to do is talk to nicky grist and Derek ringer side by side and let them compare <laughs> Colin's stories because what you'll realize in the end is that the stories are the same it's just the reaction is different yeah that's it but like there's some great stories of nicky and colin um yeah, I, I was so fortunate, by the way, in my life to have been able to spend some time with Colin in a weird kind of time when we did the first uh, issue of Zero to 60. Uh, I was in I was at the Nürburgring 24 hour and I had sent Ken an email and said, hey, I'm you know, I'm in Europe right now um, doing this thing. And he's like, oh, uh, I'm here, too, at Colin McRae's house. And I was like, oh, cool. Sounds awesome. And then like 15 minutes later, he's like, Colin said you guys can come visit. And we we were supposed to go from the Nurburgring 24 to Le Mans 24. 
And we're like, you know what? We'll just put Scotland in the middle of that map. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a we had an Audi uh, RS4 Avant. And we drove all the way to Collins and literally pulled into his parking lot at his house. And he had the exact same Nagaro blue RS4 Avant. And we just parked it right next to it and got out. And uh, and it was crazy when we spent the you know weekend at Collins, like ripping rage carts around his yard and you know going up in the helicopter and just doing a bunch of like crazy stuff with him and it was it was cool because i had gotten to then spend time with him at x games and, and all of that and you know it was this really really kind of cool era in rally coming to america and you know i think there was this height moment of like wow this this seems real because it's like uh, you know you have these drivers who are legendary status are like now you know cutting it up with guys like travis and ken and, I, and if colin had never done that i feel like travis and ken would never have had like any kind of like you know authenticity well, when he first came space. over here it's it's no it's it's considered to be an urban myth but there's before we go for a break there is no doubt that most people over here thought he was a computer game character they because of colin mccray rally oh for sure they hadn't it's a bit like lara croft turning up yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it yeah. really was no, no one understood. That. I mean, I've talked to people today because Richard Burns is still a popular game, even though like the game doesn't really kind of exist, but it does in the world of like it's a good simulator. Yeah, and people would be like, "Oh wait, is he was is he a real person?" It's like, yes, yeah, so very much so. Well, before very we go for a break, so. the, the the other um the other one of those that's fascinating is that Porsche about ten years ago had to do a special event in China. Because no one knew it made sports cars. They'd sold so many Cayennes. They had to, they had to launch the 911 over there because no one knew they made a sports car. So now it's time for you to take your tea break. And this being a British-based podcast that's over here in America, normally I suggest a cup of tea and a type of biscuit. Over here, I'm going to suggest that you have a gallon of Coca-Cola, one of those bucket things, and then go and get some Oreos. Or if you're if you're that way inclined, go and get an In-N-Out, In-N-Out burger. There isn't one in the UK, but just go, go onto the website or something because they had the greatest burgers I think in California you don't agree do you no they're pretty damn good they're pretty good okay um, uh, we're back in a minute cheers if you have a rare sporting or iconic vehicle to sell then contact the collecting cars consignment team today and sell with the market leader and if you're a watch enthusiast then don't forget to check out the auctions on watchcollecting.com I hope you uh, enjoyed your um, your bucket of Coca-Cola and your Oreos. We're in a quieter room now. Sorry about the different in sound level. If you're in a car, turn it up or turn it down accordingly. Um, but free content, you just got to deal with it. I'm afraid. That's um, how it works, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. So um, you've met Colin. Um, you're now embedded with with Ken as a, as a buddy of his. How did you come up with? Jim Carner. What what what's going on there? What's the genesis of that? So this was sort of like two people. We were both. We were looking at Jim Carner. Let me take a step back. So there was a series that had come up in the United States called Jim Carner USA. Yeah. Right. So Jim Carner USA was. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on the guy's name, and I'm unfortunate that I won't remember it right now. But. This guy had said, seen kind of Jim Kana in Japan and said, oh, this is a cool event. It's like autocross meets drifting. Yeah. Right. And um, you know, I think you guys like auto test. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, and that's what original Jim Kana was. Right. And I think we've obviously taken it and added a bit to it. But 
they said, we're going to do this course. We're going to do this event. And Zero to 60 Magazine really wanted to cover this. So it was happening in Southern California. And I called Ken and I said, Ken, there's this thing coming up called Gymkhana USA. He said, you know, it's funny you mentioned that to me. Someone else just reached out to me about this Gymkhana USA thing. You know, uh, what do you think it's cool? And I'm like, I think it would be really cool. It'd probably be a lot of fun to run, you know, in one of the rally cars. So Ken's said, well, I can't really get a rally car because there's just, you know, the rally cars didn't belong to him. They belong to Subaru. He's like, I'm just going to build like a, a pretty quick car right now. So he went to one of the local guys there, Crawford, who was pretty well known for building fast Subarus at the time. And they built, I forget which was, was I think like a 2004, 2005 uh, STI. Um a decent build, right? Nothing crazy, but you know, at the time it was crazy, but yeah, now yeah. we wouldn't really consider it crazy. Ken went, run the ran the event. I think he did okay. I don't think he did great. I think he had some car issues or something like that, but he loved it. And he's like, This is awesome. You know, this is super cool. So he doubles down and he throws a ton more money into the car for the next event. And like two weeks leading up to the event, they cancel the event because Ken thought it was interesting, but no one else did. <laughs> because and look, it, it was a cool event. And if it wasn't for those guys, who knows where, you know, Ken or I would be today. But what was it wasn't big enough. It wasn't fast enough. So Ken had this thought of like, you know, I, I really enjoyed it, but everything was like slow and like too technical. I need a bigger canvas. Yeah, I need a bigger canvas. I need yeah. to just expand this. Right. You just got to pour a little bit, you know, more gasoline on this and, and really kind of get it going more. And he went back to the same location they were racing at. I mean, they were racing at El Toro. So if you look back and you actually look at the name of the first film, it's called Gymkhana Practice because we were just going back to where they were holding the Gymkhana events because Ken said, well, I built this car. I've invested like 40 grand into this STI. I might as well go do something cool with it. And what most people don't understand about the first film was that unlike how we do it now where we film it over three or four days, you know that because you were involved and you were on gym seven um this got filmed over like a month and a half ken would go he would think about something he would try something come back send me clips i was in new york at the time i would send back notes and say oh this would be cool what if we did this and that's where the segue idea came from yeah because the concept was i've never seen anyone do a moving donut around an object that's what ken said to me ken said you know people can do donuts and like you know, because the old thing with, we always say this is Jim Conn. It's like, what else can you do? You can't kick flip a car, right? So it's like, you know, you can do a donut, you can do a figure eight, you can do a slide where you can get some proximity close to something. But it was like a moving donut's interesting, right? Like, have, have you ever seen that before, right? Like being able to track that and follow something. So we're like, what should we do a donut around? And I, Ken, I think the first idea he had was, you know, I think we should do it around like a, like those bar stool coolers. You know, like the motorized bar stools, yeah, 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 you know, or like the cooler, like you know, motorized coolers or something. Like, oh, that'd be kind of funny. And I'm like, yeah, kind of. And I'll be honest, I don't remember who said Segway first, but I do remember my response to the Segway was, oh, that's perfect. Because let's be honest, you're kind of hoping you fucking hit the guy on the Segway, <laughs> right? Like, like no one likes people on Segways. Like we saw it as like the villain to go around. Yes, like, exactly. You know, it's like every park you walk through and some guy goes past you on the Segway. It's like, learn to walk asshole. Like that's like, we looked at the Segway and thought, Oh, this is perfect. Like it, that's the perfect thing. And we can control it slow enough. And it really became 
like this weird defining piece for the first Junkana that came out, right? Because it's it was everything else was cool. And if you ask me, like my favorite part of the first Junkana, which you know we now just call Junkana One, but Junkana Practice was this really big fast slide, and Ken ends up going out towards the end of the airfield and slides through like some tall grass. Yeah, and there was just this thing about that that nowadays, if you see it, you it won't even click. Like if you if you weren't around in that era, right? If you saw that today, you wouldn't understand why I care about it. But at the time, it felt wrong. It felt like he was disrespecting the car. Yeah. Right? Because at this time, you know, you see a drift and it's the perfect drift. It hits the apex. It goes out to the edge. It comes back in and on we go. Right? Like that's how we saw filming cars. Right? But this was like, no, I, I missed the corner. Or I overshot the corner. And it was more of that rally style driving where, you know, you cut through the corner. It was or like someone had this. filmed. It like it was it was like a behind the scenes shoot. Yeah. To get the perfect drift shot. It was and that, that's what I, I remember seeing it the first time, being thrilled by it, and then having a real low. For me, it was like coming down off a drug, because then I suddenly thought, that's what I wanted to do. Right. And he's thought about it and, he, <laughs> and he's done it. There's a whole bunch of us that would love to have been that person, but yeah. he got there and he found a way of filming it. And, and there was a rawness to it. Yeah. And it was, it was almost like, I love that, that sort of almost reality television in, in action terms when it, it was like someone had filmed someone going out and just yep. exploring what the car could do and how you could film it. That was the other thing. It was very, it was always very film it from yep. the start. The language of the car was as important as the driving, you know. Yep. So the, you got the you got the amazing piece of driving, but you also thought, what angle, what height, yep. what depth of field, what speed of it was all it was all going on, yeah, yeah, in a, in a beautifully self conscious way. Yeah, it, it really all came together. And like, think about it, you know, before the Jumkana films, there's only like a few pieces of like really standout car stuff. I think after the Jumkana films, a lot of people went on. To, were inspired to go on and make a bunch of like other things that felt and had that, that yeah, feeling. But the impact of it, I reckon until the Jim Carner practice and then Jim Carner two, you're probably looking at fascination, the rough yeah. video around. I, the ring. I, I was about to say that fascination was the video for me. Yeah. Like I, I love climb dance yeah. and I think it's fantastic, but it's also, there's an artsiness to it that. And it's raw competition as well. It's a piece of competition driving, which you can never get away from. It's, it's exuberance comes from, that's what the vehicle needed to do around those right. corners. Whereas there was fascination was flamboyant. There's that one scene where the, where, you know, the yellow birds outrunning the helicopter that like, it still makes look hair stand yeah. up. I don't know what it is about it. But yeah. I remember watching it for the first time, you know, and I watched it probably on a screen where it only played two inches by two inches and you're staring at it, looking at it going, this is amazing. And I remember the first time I went to roof, like to go and see the, that car just felt special because yeah. of what that car could do. And I, that is the type of stuff that always inspired the filming we did. Right. I mean, here's a really funny thing. Ken has never seen a fast and furious film. He's never seen one. He's never seen the first do, do, one. Do you want me to admit something as well? You haven't either. No. Uh, that's, I, I get it's not, that. It's not, and I'm not insulting their brand and their franchise. They're brilliant. They've made something amazing, but it's just not my driving. Right. And and that's what Ken said. Ken said, I have no interest in seeing it. And I think that there was something really, it was always really interesting to me because I'll watch stuff that I don't like just to understand why it works, right? Like I'll watch the, those films or I'll watch content that I don't even think it's good, but I'm like, I need to know why this clicks for people. I need to understand that. But 
at the you realize like these films like the fast and furious stuff came out in what 2000 2001 and then the first from Connor was 2008 but there but the franchise for fast and furious like delayed in the beginning yeah. so it became this thing where like we were putting out a Gymkhana like every year that a fast and furious was coming out and there was always these comparisons between the two which i never understood because i felt like they couldn't be further apart because no. we literally looked at things like i looked at things like fast and furious and i was like how can we not be that <laughs> right like how do you not be fake how do you not make something that feels too hollywood and and this is so much the rule so if if you know if you're on set with us you'll hear me say things like honest angle and if i'm yelling honest angle to camera operator what i'm telling him is is you're three degrees or four degrees off and you're cheating my proximity angle you're making the proximity look closer than it is yeah and if you if you know enough that it just sort of offsets it in your eye where you realize you're being faked and it's like, I'd rather know, I want to see it perfect. Like I want to, I'd rather get Ken closer and closer and then potentially crash into it to get that honest shot. Right. And there's this weird thing about the Jim Connor films that. And you took it, actually you took it to its logical conclusion when you, when you hit the rear of the car in that, which, which one was that? Well, one I mean, where you, the first, the first time, the first time he nudged something I loved because because I think it was really important that it wasn't all just perfection. You get a little bit of that in Jim Connor 1. He he scuffs that um kind of it's like the heliport landing area. Yeah. There's the plywood, but the first big one was Jim Connor 3. And in Jim Connor 3, and it's actually a funny story about that. Is that the one I, that in I can France? actually tell now. That was the one in France. When he goes the up Autodrome. the big he goes yeah. up the side of the at, banking. I came to see you on that location on you the did way come to that. I one. came to say hello on the way to watch the Belgian Grand Prix or something. I forgot random. about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot. Wow. Yeah. Man, you were on a segue. We're getting that, old, yeah, we're getting yeah. old. I was you, on a segue, on a segue that, that day. That's well. when we went the like three direction segue. Like I went forward, then I made a right, yeah. and then I made a left, yeah. and Ken had to keep going around me. But we were at yeah. some French race circuit with crazy banking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's Liotodrome. Yeah, and, and he, he goes up the banking, doesn't he? And yep. he clips the top of the wall. I from memory. So he didn't clip the top. There was a there was a cone that he went around, but there was another wall that he comes flying out and and hits the wall like a, gives it a good love tap. Yeah. But what everyone doesn't know, which I'll I'll tell now, is um mainly because we're we're no longer sponsored by Pirelli, but um we had a, we had a set of tires that that Pirelli had delivered that they must have been the wrong compound or something, and they got greasy like really fast because they were testing to the you know to their kind of whatever but they, they were trying different things for us because think about this we go to pirelli right these guys make tires for formula one at least at the time they're like you know this is what they do they make tires for top level racing and we're like it doesn't make enough smoke when we slide <laughs> sideways can you fix that <laughs> No, that's great that it does all that heat cycles. That's great. I need to make a bit more smoke. Can you make smoke like this tire makes smoke? And also it can't get greasy. And then we need to be able to like a wheel speed of about like 100 miles an hour while going about 40 miles an hour. Then you can figure that out. And a few of those attempts ended up bad. And one of them was we put these tires on the car and Ken came sliding out and we just went right into the wall. Like yeah. massive accident. And we had to go home because we oh, did you the rear wheel hit the wall so hard that it ripped the subframe out of the chassis and bent the roll cage. I'm like, oh, told the car. Damn. Yeah, and we flew home to the US. And I remember Ken and I had the conversation of, you know, do we really need to come back? Do we really need to make this film? You know, this is Jim Connor 3. Like, we didn't really understand what Jim Connor was yet. Like, the first one was exciting and it did really well. And the second one was this, like, you know, is this kind of mega commercial that they used for DC. And 
it was also a great film, but it was more about the camera work and everything. And I wanted three. Was three to be the a first? Was three the first raw. Ford one. Three was the uh, first Ford one. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. was the one that it's we ran. Fiesta. We ran it in the Oldsburg's Fiesta. Yeah. So it was yeah. like a rallycross car. Yeah. It was actually a special built from Connor car, but it was based on on the rallycross car. And so when when did it become? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So by by the third one, it's a big commercial operation by then, wasn't it? It was you were spending a lot of money the to make third, the film. The third one had gotten bigger. The fourth one is when it really felt like it exploded yeah. to me. Like the third one was still a small crew. Um, we were still working with the Mad Media guys at the time. Then it was still like a small crew, and you know, like safety was like third or fourth on the list. Like it just it still felt like a bunch of guys just going out and you know making content and the whole time you're kind of looking around being like are we even supposed to be here like it still had that feeling to it the fourth one is when we started working with the the folks over at logan and we went and did universal studios and that felt really big in hollywood and and honestly at the end it's, it's my least favorite film we ever made because we leaned a little too much into like, oh, we're doing this cool Hollywood stuff now. So like, let's do more Hollywood stuff and like, let's make it feel slicker. And I was always the one who loved the, I just liked the rawness. So for me, my favorite films are, you know, I really liked one because it was, it's the first record, right? Like yeah. your favorite band, you're always going to like their first album the best. You can never recreate it. You're at a special place in your in life. Like you make that first one. It is what it is. But you know, my two favorite is probably, you know, Jim Conn of five because of the experience, but Jim Conn of nine. And it's very interesting because Jim Conn of nine is probably the least exciting location we shot in Buffalo, New York. I'm not sure if you've ever been there. No, they're known for their wings. It's pretty yeah. much it. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it was because we were supposed to shoot in Australia. We'd gone. I had scouted twice. I had spent a month and a half in, you know, between Sydney and Melbourne scouting and eventually the police in australia came in and were like there's no way in hell you're gonna film this in our in our they country. don't like cars do no, they? The, well i mean the word hoon comes from australia yeah, right yeah. so they were like you get out of here you you take and like we had approval from a bunch of other people and the police came in and were like you can come here as long as you don't drive the car over 15 miles an hour yeah otherwise you're not welcome yeah and we had like three weeks to make the film and we made some phone calls and people the, the people in buffalo were like we will shut down open up anything if you guys come here we're just happy to have you here fill in the hotels it's like let's make it happen and we went and put together the ross film that we had done since the first one and the you know and the views prove it i mean i think it's up to like 50 million now so it, you, it worked because it was back to that raw driving and also you're really under important. pressure do you think actually when you're given an awkward an awkward circumstance when you're filming 
it drives everyone to deliver because you know there's no wriggle room. You've just got to smash it. Yeah. There, there's something about that and i'm like a i'm a pressure cooker type person to begin with like the best stuff i do is when it's due tomorrow morning yeah you know it's like oh all right we have to do it i i like the i like the chaos that comes with it and i think that's why i'm sure you do too i, I have this theory that all of us who once lived in deadline journalism we did it because we we suck at deadlines Right. Like if with, if there wasn't a deadline, I would have become nothing in life. Yeah. I, I needed a deadline to force me. You need to butt to up against it. it. It's, yeah. it's, it's like an authority figure when you're younger. Yeah. It's there and it's there in your face. And you want to get as close to it, as yeah, close yeah. as you can to deliver. I mean, without I, that pressure, it, there probably isn't the quality. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate comparing things always to car stuff as car guys because it sounds so cliche. But it's like my like work ethic is like an old 930. It's like when the boost finally hits, it's ready to kill you. You know, <laughs> that lag, like yeah. I, it's always those last few minutes where you're like, ah, here it is. And if you know how to use it in those last moments, it works really well. And there's something about the stuff we've made that sometimes the better the location, you know, you, you don't try as hard on the other pieces. Uh, what was the, I, the last one I actually saw you film was a long time ago. It was the first one with the, with the Hoonicorn. In um, Los, here, it was here in Los Angeles. Yeah, what year was that? Which one was that? Is that 2015, I think? What, which, which one was that? I always forget the number. Jim Connor 7. 7. Yeah. And I so and I, I don't know if it's ever public knowledge or not, but I there was that famous scene with the big donut on the store. Yep. I remember basically hiding yep. in a bush somewhere near you. And Ken arrives. This is why, you know, Ken over the years had a lot of criticism. Oh, he's not. He's, actually, he's just a stunt driver. He's not a real rally driver because he doesn't win rallies. Well, you try winning rallies against people that have done it since they were five. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy job. But he arrived in this thing. This car's a freaking monster. And he does, he's, he doesn't scout this thing. It's not like you're painting out black lines yeah, 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 to make yeah. it clear. He turns up and he executes an absurd slide in this car park. Yeah. First time out. And then the freaking gearbox goes wrong in the car, doesn't yeah. it? And then, you, and then you have to get a gearbox flown in from Canada or yep, something yep, like that. From Montreal. Yeah. yeah. And it's at that point I thought this is big bucks production yeah. now They're by the way i want to serious. explain what flying a gearbox in means because yeah. this is a rally thing that people don't understand <laughs> when we say fly a gearbox in we mean call a guy that we know in canada have him go to the gearbox company pick up the gearbox and get on a plane with it like it's not like you just drop it off at dhl like you actually have a person yeah. bring it because you can't guarantee that it'll get here any other way so yeah. it's like the amount of people we have flown like Oh yeah, we need this McLaren alternator. Oh fucking guess what? It's got to come in from the UK. Like fuck, wake someone up in the UK to go to McLaren and go get this damn alternator and get on a plane tomorrow. Yeah, I mean it, that's an interesting part of of doing that type of stuff. And I remember the amount doing, of expense you do with that. Oh god, and I remember the that standing burnout scene. Oh, the chain you, scene. And this is where I started to understand just just how it sort of intricate it had become this idea that you were it was become visual theater yeah, yeah, yeah this the fact that you had these exhausts exiting in a way that you knew that they'd be pumping through tire smoke and you were in this dark warehouse filming it at whatever many frames per second yeah, yeah, yeah. these slow-mos it, was, it well, was it was again i i he's self-indulgent but god it was amazing to watch I mean, the the problem there was we built this amazing car right and to the core core they're going to know all the details they're going to know it's a 410 engine they're going to know that it's a sedev transmission they're going to know all of this but that's only probably about five hundred thousand people who watch yeah, it right yeah. you know that you know 60 million people are going to watch it how do you tell people that this is all-wheel drive mustang and at the time 
really the first in the world of a performance one. There apparently were some made for delivering mail in like, you know, Michigan or something. But like that was the whole goal was how do we show people that all four wheels spin? It's like, oh, chain it up and let them go. Like that was and it seems so simple now. But I mean, we it was a lot of like talking about how do you get people to understand the machine that we had built? Yeah. Right. Because we were really proud of that machine, you know, and it's I mean, the thing's still a monster. You know, <laughs> it's, so. it's basically been rejuvenated about five times. Oh, yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It just keeps getting taken out of the closet. We've got, a phrase, <laughs> we've got a phrase in the UK called Trigger's Broom. People understand that. So there's a famous sketch in our most popular sitcom called Only Fools and Horses. There's a character called Trigger who is, sadly, he's satirized for being stupid. <laughs> and he stood with his broom. He's a road sweeper by trade. And he, he, someone says, is that, you know, how long have you had that broom? He goes, I've had it all my life. He goes, and someone says, how have you made it last that long? He says, you know, I've had it all my life. He goes, well, it's had, it's had four handles and six heads, but it's, but it's still my broom. And everyone just looks at him blankly. <laughs> so anything that's old and been rehashed is Trigger's broom. Yeah, it's, The Mahoonicorn is your Trigger's, Trigger's broom. broom at this fact, point. Do you know what, actually, and I've got the footage somewhere, and I've never told anyone in public, I've driven the Hoonicorn. Remember I yep. did, I did half a lap of Silverstone. Yeah. And we, they allowed us to run the thing, and when we fired it up, it hit the noise meter in the next village, and we did half a lap, and they just came <laughs> out and went, us down. no, away yeah. you go. But that half lap was pretty exciting. It's a, yeah, yeah. It's a, you also drove the... You also drove, drove one the, of the other Jim. I drove the cars. Fiesta. I've driven yeah, the, Fiesta. the Fiesta. Struggled with that initially. Yeah. But um, so the Jim Carner franchise just just grew and grew and grew. But then around about eleven or twelve, was it? Was it ten or eleven? Hoonigan came to be, which is when you you. Well, actually, so Hoonigan, so Hoonigan appeared first on Jim Carner three, right? It? But it was very much in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was the first appearance of Hoonigan. Um, actually, we launched Hoonigan of all the weird places to launch Hoonigan. We launched Hoonigan um, at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. <laughs> we we just we made stickers because at the time it was still Lord March before he became yeah. a duke, right? Yeah. And we made stickers that said the Lord, um, uh, the Lord said, "Thou shalt hoon," and just handed them out to like a bunch of you know Brits at Goodwood. And they're like, "What the hell is this?" And like they had like graphics of like it was like praying hands with like a rosary bead around it. One. Yeah, and it was like you know full blasphemous. And um, we did that, and uh, and it was just kind of to tease the name a little bit. And Jim Connor that year, there was on the window, it just said Hoonigan, right? Yeah. And it was one of those things where like it just caught on like fire, like the people were were bootlegging the stickers. They didn't even know what it was. So by the time Jim Connor Seven was the first Jim Connor where Hoonigan actually where it actually lived on the Hoonigan channels on YouTube. Before that, it was on the DC channels. So yeah, yeah. okay. So Jim Connor Seven. So Hoonicorn was. I mean, that's why it was the Hoonicorn, yeah. right? So Hoonicorn was like the first like Hoonigan, you know, car and kind of process for so us. So what? So Connor. so Ken Block. So we've we've been a bit sort of um, we bounced around a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. but so Ken Block, you know. He's uh, one of the owners of DC Shoes. He sells out of that. Yep. Um, and he's obviously got some creative juices that he wants to exercise. Yep. You've now done a lot of Jim Carner stuff, but you're ready to take a next step. Um, and Ho- Hoonigan is this brand that, to start with, is just apparel, isn't it? It was just some T-shirts. Yep. I mean, uh, early on, it was, look, we wanted to build like a lifestyle brand. We, we knew what we wanted to make. We didn't know how we were going to make it. But Who came up with the name? Um, so in the end, Ken coined the name, 
But the way it got there was that when Ken did the first Jumkana film, we were at zero to 60, we decided to make like fake awards that year and do our own, like, you know, cause auto car and everyone else, they got there or, you know, yeah. their, you know, award shows, we're going to do our own. And we did Hoon of the year. Yeah. Um, at the time the word Hoon was this, like, was really only being used by the it's Australian. Yeah, yeah. And we were just like co-oping at the time. And, uh, so we gave him Hoon of the Year, and he just loved it. He's like, I love this. Like, Hoon of the Year, it's so great. And he, we, we were playing with a couple other words. Um, a word I introduced Ken to, he had never heard before. Because remember, like, just a quick thing on Ken, and it's funny because, you know, you brought up, like, there is a lot of hate for Ken. You know, Ken started racing at 37 and also was so occupied in the world of skateboarding and snowboarding and, and motocross that while he had a love for cars, he didn't grow up car people like we did yeah so there was a lot of things that he didn't know like he watched rally and he knew that stuff but there's a lot of things he didn't know so i i, I told him the word racecraft mm. he's like well what's racecraft i'm like it's your ability to drive around people right like you can be fast but you might not be fast in a pack yep and he's like oh i really like that word so i think the first version was this idea of like hooncraft or there was like we were playing with the word and then one day he just you know he just emailed me and just hoon again this uh, is it and I was like, ah, oh. and I'll be honest, I didn't like the name at first, but I knew it was the right name. Yeah. Like there was something about it. I was like, ah, oh, it's kind of like a little cringy, like hooligan, hoonigan. But then I thought about it. And, like, and also yeah, it's, it's one of those, work. one of those words that is a nothing word. It doesn't, it doesn't appear. Which in the is so important. Because but, but, but when you, the moment you see it, you know exactly what it means. Yeah. yeah. So you, it's a non-word, but it registers. Yeah. And it ended up sort of defining like an entire culture of, of, you know, of, car enthusiasts that and i'm not saying we invented that culture i think that culture was already there but we, def we it, defined it right yeah. we gave it a name that they could say oh this is who i am and this is what i am right and you think about it compared to other names and other brands but our, our whole background for hoonigan and why we we started it was you know i grew up new york city I was heavily into like skateboarding and riding bmx i was also really into punk rock at the time and all of those were things that they came with flags. Yeah. You could wave your flag, right? You go to school and you got your bad brains t-shirt and everyone knows you like punk rock, you know, or you wear your independent truck shirt and everyone knows you like skateboarding. You see, you're slightly, you're on the fringes of normality, aren't yeah, you, yeah. basically? You, but you're not, you're not a total renegade. Yeah, yeah. But you're not, you're not, and you're nowhere near the middle, are you? No, and, and, and I think that this was this thing for us was like, automotive didn't have that. Like, we well, weren't allowed to. We we didn't have a brand because I, I loved cars, but we didn't have a brand that like you wore, like you could wear, I don't know, like a Volkswagen team shirt or a Formula One team shirt or God forbid a NASCAR team shirt. But like, what did that really like? What did that mean? Right. And actually, there was an era in New York where like it was really cool to wear like NASCAR team, like DuPont, like team shirts. But like no one knew even about racing. It was just style. But there wasn't this brand. And like, you know, you would wear like. In, in the United States, for some reason, during an era, STP, like the, you know, that, yeah. that brand, the oil brand. I think oil. Which all, for me was always on the on Tamiya like, models. That's yeah, how I first like, saw it. And that's really where the brand shirts you wore were, were supporters of that. I mean, to me, I think about how many cigarette brands I thought were cool, like Rothmans and things like that, because they were attached to racing, right? I mean, that was something that to me was cool or Martini Rossi, right? Like I still have a, a Martini belt. 
that's a Porsche belt, just because to me those brands meant I liked motorsport. But they were also the, uh, the, the, that stuff on a tangent. I love because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I remember writing about this years ago. And do you remember the zero to sixty story we ran called "Thank You for Smoking"? Yes, and it was all about the great all the cigarette they brands were. that made motorsports great. But most of the brands that I loved on Formula One cars turned out to be a massive disappointment. So West Cigarettes, mm-hmm. um, I you know was a committed smoker back then, and um, and the. West was the worst cigarette. It's like a coffin nail. Mm-hmm. I remember buying a packet in Germany thinking, wow, I'm in here. They're on F1. Three in thinking, good God, I can't. <laughs> they're awful. Rothmans were fairly rough as well. But the biggest disappointment of all was the Brabham, the Brabham Parmalat cars of the early 80s. So Nelson PK, BMW engine, yeah, yeah. 1,200 horsepower on boost. And Parmalat for me was this brand. It was like, so cool. Just a blue and white car. <laughs> and I found out it was powdered milk. <laughs> and I just thought, I was hoping it was going to be like, condoms or like right, liquor right. or something yeah, 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 it yeah. was milk it was milk not Fucking even milk not even good milk <laughs> milk in a cardboard box <laughs> it's just so disappointing yeah. but yeah you're right there wasn't there was no there was no crossover between apparel and and the car culture that yeah. we were into and also and i was i was guilty of this i was part of the stuffiness of cars the car community for for magazines and and, and actually for the manufacturers was this Leave it alone. If you if you tamper with it, you're the moment you tamper with it, you're like a what we call a chav. You're like a you're a or a bogan from yeah, Australia. Yeah, yeah. But there was there was there was a, a huge culture of that in the US that wasn't being harnessed, wasn't there? There were more people mm. that were into that than were into the sort of clean track day yeah. OM stuff, wasn't there? And they and no would have brought them all together. Yeah, and I think like when we you know when we were making back to zero to sixty, like when we were starting zero to sixty, we were looking. It's funny because you brought up you know motoring mag and things like that, but you know obviously Evo Car and Top Gear were, were like major influences for us, mainly in like just the aesthetic, right? Like they just it just looked good. Yeah, right. The magazines here were like printed on like newspaper. It was horrible, right? Yeah. But we also looked at things like Max Power, right? Like you you know the the Okay, like Max Power as a kid. I mean, like I look back at it now, and I'm like, man, that magazine was so not PC. Or when, like- they, when they look, when they launched it again, because I was I was then going through a renegade phase. Yeah, I, yeah, want, yeah. I, I wanted my car modified, but there wasn't really a modified scene as such. Right. And when it arrived, I just thought this was written for me. It's like yeah. someone had written a magazine for the person I was, yeah. which is a bit embarrassing, with the free orange keyring on the front, and the uh-huh. first cover story had a Peugeot 205 with a dimmer kit on it, and the headline said. Purple throbbing monster. <laughs> See, and how good was it? I mean, they knew their audience. Let's say that. They well, definitely Smith, knew their audience. Johnny Smith listens to this now and again. He's got a great podcast in the, in, the, in the UK. And he was a big part of the later Max. Johnny, yeah. John, and he was the guy responsible for, do you know Burberry, the brand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Burberry um, got slightly sort of hijacked by the wrong part of society for Burberry. They wanted to be selling coats at $3,000. Right. But the caps became a badge of honor for soccer hooligans. Okay. They were a Burberry cap. And Burberry was really struggling to to get rid of this image. So, and a a chav in the UK, you know, a chav is is a derogatory term for someone. Anyhow, Johnny Smith got a Vauxhall Cavalier and painted it in Burberry colors, called it the Chavalier. Oh, and so parked good. it outside their offices in London, <laughs> their main show, their main store opposite Harrods. And um, apparently, two days later, the lawyers turned up at EMAT Publishing to, to sort it out. I mean, it was a real problem for them. But the, oh, the, the Chavalier. That's fantastic. <laughs> but in that, I mean, that magazine really just kind of inspired. I loved, like, I don't know, it, it was a culture thing, right? Yeah. It just was this, like, it was, it's a certain age in your life where, like, you got a fast car and you feel like you're invincible and you 
and everything just is funny and like everything's like as you guys would say taking the piss right yeah. like and and it's it's just it's so it was just so good and it that a lot of max power ended up in hoonigan yeah right like a lot of that we don't take ourselves seriously because look i'll be honest like we it's zero to 60 didn't take itself too seriously but we definitely took ourselves more seriously than hoonigan does oh much more right? because, like, because you operated in that space well it's because we needed to be invited to the ferrari launches and in order for us to do that we had to act a certain way you know yeah. and then after you, we never got invited again. But that's a story for a different day. <laughs> I think we went through. I've been through that once on this podcast. Yeah, but, yeah. but I think um, so. You got you've got this brand up and running. In fact, for, I was, it's ten years since I did drive. So yeah. almost exactly hit, now. Yeah, we did our ten year anniversary was last November. And I remember you. I spoke to you on the phone, or I saw you somewhere, and you went have some of these t shirts. Wear these. If you look at the first year yeah. of my films. Almost all of them I'm wearing a bloody Hoonigan t-shirt. Yeah. Do you know how much money I got for that? Nothing. Three fifths of fuck all. <laughs> but I loved it. And I just I you know, I I think when when I when you sent me the t-shirt that said kill all tires, <laughs> spelt wrongly. Um and um and I and it was in the kiss, you know, the kiss If, logo. if you ever want to get into that conversation about the etymology of the word tire, you guys are wrong. How can we be wrong? We invented the language. I know, and you once spelt it with an I. Did and we? at some point the London Times started spelling it a different direction, different way, and then the whole country followed suit. Okay, so. I think I, I think actually I actually looked into this. You've because, looked into it because you've had so yeah, much abuse over the years. Because I've had so many Brits tell me like it's our language. You guys spell it the wrong way. I don't normally say this, but I've got nothing to say on this. Because you know what? It, it, because it comes from when wheels were made of wood. Yeah, the rubber was the attire for the wood. That honestly, we're educational too. That's I didn't know yeah, that. Look at that. Yeah. The other, like my you heard favorite it here one, first, people. My favorite one is that uh, that I learned not long ago was that the in, in the West Country we call training shoes daps. What? But we call them daps, D A P. They're known as daps. Oh, okay. And I could never understand what the, what the reason was. And um someone explained it's quite simple. The Dunlop factory that made the shoes called them Dunlop Athletic Plimsolls. Dap. That's when you it. Hear, so I, I never knew that the the, the tire was the attire. Yeah. In other words, the the, the grip bit on the outside yeah, of the wooden yeah. wheel. That was like where it came from. But you still spell it wrong. So um, so, <laughs> so, so you spell a tire with a Y. Yes, you have to. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but this, I, I just loved these t-shirts and they did get, I remember that I could get as many comments initially about where did you get, where can I get that t-shirt from as, yeah, as I yeah. would about the video, which really pissed me off, obviously. <laughs> but and I've never been a commercial beast, as you know, I didn't care. And, I, and I'm very proud of my, my uh, small role in, in getting it going outside the main outside of your world but what was quite clear was but i will say though i mean now that we bring it up because you and i've never talking about talked about it but you brought us this weird credibility because i think people looked at us as like these are a bunch of shithead kids who are doing shithead car stuff but wait why the hell is chris harris wearing this shirt well, because i think you were from a different space that you and i obviously had a relationship at you know because of zero to 60 but there was just this it didn't connect for people, and, no. I, and I and I love that it didn't. I don't. Do you know what? That's why I stopped, we were always I, I, trying to be that brand. I didn't stop wearing them because I didn't like them. I just suddenly I woke up one day and thought, I'm driving the McLaren P1 around Yas Marina. I'm like yeah. the ultimate hypercar. It didn't feel appropriate to wear a Hoonigan T-shirt for that film. Yeah, and I maybe that was just the point in which I thought. I'm too much of an old fart. It's not, maybe it isn't my world. I don't know what it was. And by that stage, you were you were going so quickly, and you were you had your yard, and you were 
wrecking yeah. tires. And I thought <laughs> that they have gone in their direction. I yeah. need to maybe just let them go there because <laughs> I, I much want to be a part of that. I can't be. It's weird though, because we definitely, we went into a space that we were just having fun in the yard and you know, the yard became this defining thing. And, you know, for anyone listening who, who doesn't know this, we, we had a parking lot that was uh, maybe 35 feet by like 110 feet. I mean, it's the smallest parking lot. And the the crazy feats of automotive, like, you know, go, go and look them, up on, go and look them up on YouTube or on Instagram. There is some, um, not only is there some lunacy, yeah. there's some seriously impressive driving. When that guy got it up the ramp, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I remember watching that thinking yeah. the Micah Diaz man line is what you want to search for that. And it, <laughs> it, it was and we did we had this little location and we said, what can we do here? And that's how that show started. It was what can we film in the parking lot? And I made a simple rule, which is this show never leaves the parking lot. Like so we can do walk arounds on cars. We can do burnouts. And and it was this it was like this creative thing of like you're given this little space and how much can you do in this little space and what can you create with only this? Because the minute the show became going to Willow Springs, then we were competing with big budgets and all this stuff. And, exactly. And we did that for, you know, almost two years where we just made that show. And that's But that's when you went from half a million Instagram followers to several yeah. million, wasn't it? That yeah, built yeah. it. It's what built it. But then we, we, and we actually, I, I don't really talk about this much, but there's an audience that misses that. It's all they wanted, right? You know, they just love that show. And I, I, I was actually saying to someone the other day that one of my favorite things that you ever did was, um, was Will It Drift, right? And I liked it because it was a formula, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, how long ago was that? 10, 15 yeah. years ago now? Yeah. And I think you, you know, you drifted like a London cab and like a limousine or something like that. And it was just, it was easy and simple to watch. You knew what you were going to get every day. And people really loved this show. But the truth was, was that we got to the point where like the host, like we didn't enjoy making it anymore. Yeah. And you're out of ideas. We it? ran out of ideas. And at, at a certain point you feel like you're now getting to the point where like someone has to die or the, or like we have to burn the town down. Before get a it, to land yeah. in there. And eventually or... we had the Australians come over, like the burnout cars from Australia, yeah. they came over. And that was the last episode we ever made. Because the mayor of Long Beach could see the smoke from his house. And that was it. Like, it didn't matter who I knew anymore. Because I pulled every political favor I had to keep us running and not have us shut down. And, you know, and what most people don't understand is we would make the show. And then two days later, I'd be standing in front of city council, like, arguing why they can't shut us down. And pulling this favor and doing this and leveraging every single favor I had to not get us kicked out of Long Beach. And on that day, the police officers who came said, you're done. You're done. He's like, you're done. <laughs> and and now, now we moved to Compton and it's back on. We can do whatever we want. But we we as a as a group of, you know, car people wanted to just expand and do different stuff, too. So, like, that was like, OK, let's start making a bunch of different shows. Let, let's make a whole bunch of different. So things. How much content and, are you making now? Um, we are now making last year. We did 380 pieces of content um, for the year. And that doesn't include like the Jim Connor films. It's just on the YouTube channel, 380 pieces. And we do we do a new show called This Versus That, which started about a year and a half ago, which is just a drag race show. Yeah. And the whole concept is like weird matchups, right? Like, you know, we just uh we actually just shot um a bunch of cars racing the plaid, right? Yeah. Um have you driven the plaid? No, I've I've heard it's extraordinary. I mean, sure. I, I, someone I, on the show said it best. It's fast, but it doesn't look good. 
It doesn't sound good. Well, I guess one out of three ain't bad. Yeah. And it's amazing. I've no interest in it. I've no interest in the yeah, car. But, I, but I mean, I, I, and it has one trick. It's a bit like the guy that's got one joke. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's but you can't really, tell it over and over again. Yeah. And it, unfortunately, you'll line it up against cars that are absolute, you know, poster on the wall level dream car. And it, just, and it will completely embarrass that car. And But it's still, it's lacking soul handling, or whatever. Handling chassis and steering reveal themselves over time and yeah. life and they're constantly surprising but straight line speed is done for me once you've done it i remember talking to yeah. martin, martin brundle about this he just said once you've once you're once you've got used to how fast the formula one car is you don't think about it, it doesn't yeah. impress you it just doesn't impress you i drove the fastest car i've ever driven in my life yesterday what was that i drove an audi r8 yeah with 1700 horsepower four-wheel drive or two-wheel all-wheel drive. drive yeah with a you know with the dsg transmission so you're just pushing the pedal and going and uh I, the the trim i drove it in was, it's a company called iras motorsports right you should drive one of their cars they're they're quite good yeah um actually he's still here maybe i'll connect you guys but uh and he, by the way he drove we we did this in central coast california he street drove the car from los angeles no trailer just drove the car how's the, gearbox handling, how's the transmission car? handling that a lot of work that so it's actually a stock bottom it's actually a stock block they've never opened up the block or the valve train so it's a stock long block and they just have a massive turbo kit on it running motec and then they do a bunch of clutch work for the dsg and that's it and how and how how fast did it feel to you is it unlike anything else you've driven it was on yeah it was one of those it's moving so quickly that you're 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 thinking more about your braking zone than anything else because before you, you accelerate you're thinking about you're where thinking you're going. the braking zone like it, it comes so quickly that you're like you look down you're like oh okay we're you know we're at Have 150 miles yet, an no? hour so um they've ran the quarter mile and i think a seven nine what is it yeah. so and realize like i drove it on street tires so i wasn't like so i didn't do it from a launch i just ran it on like you know like a R888 or is something. That, is that a Hoonigan car? Now it is. So, I mean, Hoonigan has become such a broader company than yeah. we were. You know, in the early days, it was like burnouts and fun. And I think what we realized was that Hoonigan is just an attitude in car culture. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, we didn't talk about this, but the whole reason we started Hoonigan, we were getting into it, but the whole reason we started Hoonigan is because we felt that, like, car culture was boring and there wasn't like attitude like there wasn't a place where attitude was okay yeah and if you were the guys doing burnouts you know with a press car or something like we would get into so much trouble at zero to 60 but i think it was, and, but, it was but it was carefully managed because there's 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 normality and boringness and i was from that world and then there was just antisocial and pissing people off yeah, yeah. attitude fits in between those doesn't it uh, yeah. I, I didn't i didn't i didn't want to be part of the of the boring but i didn't want to be someone that just upset people yep so you've, you've, well, you've navigated think, that space really well and no one had done I, that. I think one thing that was super important for us was that we were going to be, you know, slightly punk rock, yeah. but we were also going to be like really, really inclusive as a brand. Yeah. So like we didn't care if you had a $500 BMW or a McLaren Senna, we were going to treat you the same. And I think that that was something that was like really unique for Hoonigan, where a lot of other, you know, especially even a lot of brands that exist today, like, I mean, you know, you're going to do like a cars and coffee type thing tomorrow. Yeah. There is the upper elite that really gets a different entryway 
yeah into this right and like you know i've been debating what car i'm going to bring tomorrow right <laughs> yeah. and it, is it my rs2 which will everyone will come and be like oh you have the rs2 in america <laughs> you are so smart you belong to our elite group of people who respect these these perfect pieces you're a connoisseur you're a connoisseur <laughs> it's almost perfect you shouldn't have put the wheels on it like you know that's yes. what yeah. that's what i would get or do i show up with my donk Right, which is just everyone looking at me going, what in the hell is that? Right, Or do I just drive my 1991 Audi V8 that's totally stock that I just bought for a thousand bucks because it's a fun car to drive? And like all of that lives inside of Hoonigan. All three of those cars have a place in in our world now. Um, And that was a big expansion over the past three or four years. And a lot of it came from, you know, Hoonigan is is really a combination of like, you know, 10 or so guys who all have different passions. And at first we were all like, yeah, yeah, burnouts. That's what everyone wants to see us for. Right. And then we started realizing that like, oh, you know, I'm building a Land Rover with a, with a Cummins engine in it. People are like, that's cool. And it's like, oh, this guy's building this and this guy's got, you know, an NSX. And, and we started to realize that it wasn't just kids who wanted to see burnouts. It was just this like younger audience that wanted to absorb car culture. And also you, uh, one thing I realized is you can dip in and out of it. Sometimes I go th- through more hoonigan phases than I'm not. I might have yeah, a, yeah. a phase where I'm quite into new cars because I've bought a new car and the idea mm-hmm. of putting wheels or doing something it makes me feel a bit ill. Yep. But then when my car's a bit older and I've put an exhaust on it and done some wheels, then suddenly I look at hoonigan and I think, do you know what? I'm in a hoonigan phase. Yeah, yeah, I'm enjoying yeah. it. So you can dip in and out. And, it, and you're right. It is inclusive. So knowing what you now know, would you be in the apparel business or would you be in the content to make money business? Um, it's tough. The content business brought us probably the darkest points in the company, right? About three or four years ago, like, like about a year before COVID hit, we were really trying to figure out who the hell we were because we were just chasing the content and chasing content mean making content that people were willing to pay for. Yeah. And what you re- what you quickly realize is is the stuff people want to pay for isn't the stuff that does well. Yeah, and then you're in this in between of trying to figure that and out. I presume you, know? you then are endlessly trying to persuade people what they should be doing, yeah. and you just must get so tired of sitting there trying to persuade people that that they're doing that they're asking for the wrong thing. Yeah, I mean, I am. My grandmother says to me often, you know, I I don't I don't suffer fools gladly. Um, I'm sure you've heard that term because she's, yeah. she's Irish. So, okay. But yeah. in the States, that's not like a normal term. And, yeah. and, um, you know, she used to always, she used to always say that to me and it's like, I, I, I am very difficult with our clients. Like, <laughs> because I will tell people like, why did you come to me? Because and ask you, me to make this if you want to direct what you want to make. Like, and the then just go you do came, it on your own. The if reason you, you came to me is you thought that I knew something. Right. And now you don't want, to, now you yeah. want to unknow what yeah. I know. And, and the thing too, it's like, you know, and this is a, a very interesting conversation, but why do people care about a brand, right? That's attached to something. And, and we have some partnerships that are great, right? Um, and you know, one of them for us is is uh, is NASA Energy Drink because, like, they literally like we're on the trust, like it's like the trust us menu. Yeah. They're like, what show do you think this should be in? Cool. Just tell people that if it wasn't for us, the show wouldn't like you guys wouldn't be making the show. Yeah. And that's like a very simple one. It's like these guys support what we do, so please do us a favor and support them. It's that simple. We don't have to like make all these weird kind of like the things that just feel contrived. You like don't the audience, have activization meetings. The audience, <laughs> it, it, no. And the thing I think that everyone has to understand is that like 13 year old kids understand the word clickbait 
They know marketing terms. Like this, this isn't an easy world to market anymore. You're better off just being transparent and saying these guys sponsor us and yeah. this is why. And without them, we wouldn't be able to make this show. So please go support them. And that's really the best return we see out of stuff and versus like, oh, we're gonna need you guys to do this. You're gonna have to do a big donut around this thing that we've created and we're gonna insert this person from our group. And it's like, no. And we say no all the time. I mean, we say no more than we say but your, yes. But your background, you know, you did create a new business model, which was from the very start. These people are funding us to make something that will just bring you five or six minutes of joy. Yeah. That's what it was, wasn't yep. it? You know, and, I, and I've, and actually gave me a lot of hope when in my dark years of YouTube, when I couldn't make it work, Yeah, that was the way to do it. It was just to, just to get some people to give you some money. And, and if they, if people wanted to present you, present you or the film because they didn't like the associations, it, it was a very simple response. But if they didn't give me the money, you wouldn't be watching it. Yeah. And you seem to be watching it. So shut up. Yeah. And it's like, we are in a world now where if the content's not good, there's plenty of other content out there to watch. Yeah. And I think that, you know, without naming names, there's a lot of, you know, content people who thought that they were going to be able to take their content and go put it behind a paywall or go do this or go do that. And, and think that the audience was going to follow them. And the reality was, was all they did was open up, a space for someone else to move in. Yeah, they lost 99.5% of their yeah. viewers. It just went like, elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can see it. I mean, every time someone changes something they're doing, you're like, oh, here's the new person. They're just going to take that audience. I mean, that's just, it's the path of least resistance. But, but actually, in fairness, the brand, you know, now, now you've branched out. We'll talk about the Audi, Audi deal in a minute, but you've got Travis as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you, no one's coming and taking your space, have they? They've tried. Lots of people have tried. You know, I think, look, there are people who who do it as well as us. There's probably people who do it better than us. I haven't seen them yet. No, I'm just kidding. But, like, <laughs> no, I, 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 but we have always tried to do it with other people, right? I mean, that, well, that's the B, a big the, thing the BJ, for us. The BJ Baldwin truck one for me that you did first time around. I you mean, enjoyed that. that. Jesus. Because the language of that car, of that yeah. vehicle, was so it just it was made for it. It's still one of my favorite films I've ever made. A lot of it had to do with that Mexico is lawless. So like filming when you were it, through the town and stuff. I mean, it's it, just ridiculous. So, so a quick story on that is we were filming on one section, and then the final. What's scene, the film actually called for the viewers? Recoil two. Recoil. Recoil go and, two. Recoil two. Yeah. Go and watch it on YouTube. It, it is sensational. And there's uh so the the end jump where he jumps over the girls onto the beach, right? Yeah. Which is the thumbnail of the video um we had to film that we had to film it like at a certain time because of light and everything and we were driving we were like way far away on this like highway that had been built that no one had used <laughs> like this is like classic mexico like we built this beautiful like autobahn level highway but we forgot to connect it between two towns so it's just this open stretch of road so we were out there filming and i jumped into i was driving i think a r35 gtr someone else had a mclaren sls like we had a bunch of supercars uh on site at the time and sports cars that were supposed to be in the film they never made it in the film and we were driving and all of a sudden we realized we'd been driving the wrong way for like half an hour and it's like oh shit like so like you know i get a phone call where are you we're all on set and i'm like i'm still driving like i don't know where the hell i am and they're like okay you guys have to get here as fast as possible i'm like okay they're like when you're when you're when you're coming back a police officer is going to join and bring you guys back into town like that's our fixer saying in mexico so we pull in and sure enough like this cop pulls out and we are cruising through 
like a small Mexican town at like 90 miles an hour, like sliding every roundabout. <laughs> like it is full on, like it's something out of like a chase movie. And we're coming into intersections and like the Federale are like pulling in, you know, they've got like 50 cal machine guns in the back, like stopping traffic. <laughs> and we're just blasting through, like just driving absolutely flat out to get to set. And like that was the whole film. The whole film was like making the film was as exciting as the film. Like every moment of it was just like that because there's just a lawlessness in That was my, that's in, my next in question. Mexico. When are you going to do the making of, when are you going to make a film of the making of properly? I mean, we did, we did Gymkhana Files when we followed the making of Gymkhana 10, which I, th I thought did a pretty good it, job of telling that story, but. But I, I still, I still want to see something rawer. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel that. Um, it's funny because lately we've just been talking about taking everyone's like Instagram, like or like iPhone videos, and just putting it all together and narrating it because it's the most raw, right? Like those moments of you're just on set filming this thing, and it's yeah. like, <gasps> I mean, this, I, I, I'm gonna show you a video when we're done with this of a jump we just did with Travis Pastrana. Um, that was, it looks, it looks fake. He hits a jump at like a hundred and like forty-five miles an hour that he probably should have hit at sixty, and he literally just enters screen in just, in air and leaves in air. <laughs> like the we just didn't have the frame wide enough, but he when he when he enters it, like he enters it horizontal and leaves vertical. <laughs> Like it's just the most like when I show it to people, it looks like CGI. It looks CGI. That's yeah. The thing. It looks like it looks CGI. And that's it the other thing fake. that's interesting is that. There's a CGI has become so sophisticated now. You've always traded in reality. Do you ever worry that there's a point at which extremity of of car language no. butts up against good CGI? Isn't there? If you, if, yeah. do, you, do you feel limited by that ever or not? Oh, one hundred percent. My least favorite film that has been made in the past eight or so years is the bmw i want to say it's like the m4 commercial when they on, went through on the, the aircraft carrier okay yeah yeah, yeah. i know what because you mean. it's all cg yeah 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 right but people thought it was real and that's a problem for me because once we get to a line where someone watches that and thinks it's real and they don't realize that like no there is no danger there they're not really on an aircraft carrier they're filming it you know in a parking lot and making it look like it's there yeah then people watch what we do and they just assume it's CGI. Yeah. And that's that's the real difficult part because the practicalness of cars and, and practical stunts is, is really, I think, important. And it's it's the reason why I, I have this love-hate relationship with Fast and Furious. I hate Fast and Furious for the movie it is, which is weird because the first one, I loved um, uh, Point Break. Yeah, because have you ever seen the movie Point Break? Well, the, the original Point Break. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Uh, let's not even speak of the second one. Yeah. Do you remember the first one movie? Yeah. yeah, it's one of the best worst movies ever. Fast and Furious is the same movie. Yeah, it's the same script. Like it literally is. It, you haven't watched Fast doesn't and have, Furious one? No, I've never watched it. But okay, but it so it's does a, it have ex presidents? Does it have all that sort of stuff in there? No, but it's the same. It's the exact same movie. Like, does you, someone say they caught their first tube today, sir? Potentially, but like, <laughs> but it has a. It's it's the same setup. It's like the sister and the you know and like he infiltrates the group and then he kind and he lets them go at the end. It's it's all the same movie. Anyway, I'm okay. tangenting here, but. I but I I do appreciate that Fast and Furious brought car enthusiasts into the fold, and yeah. and this is something that for me has as I've gotten older, and I, I don't want to act like 
you know, at the end of the day, I, I run a company. I enjoy what I do. I have a great life because of it. But if there's anything I give back to the car community, it's to just keep bringing more people into it Yeah. because otherwise it will disappear. Yeah. Right. So like for me, it's like, how do I, you know, how do I steal the hearts and minds of 13 year olds to decide that they want to build cars? And it's and, increasingly difficult yeah. because that, that generation is not as interested as we were. Yes and no. I, it might be over I, here. In Europe, it's a real I, problem. No, and I know that, but I deal with them every day. Yeah. Like, that is my audience. Like, I, that is the oh, I audience talking, I, I thought you were talking about the mental age of your team. So. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That too, <laughs> that too, that too. So, but, um, I mean, trust me, I've got guys on my team where I'm like, I don't even understand what you're wearing anymore. So, granted, what am I wearing? You like this? All right yeah, now. I do love it. There's this, no- is, this is a Hoonigan basically balenciaga rip i hope they're, you i've I hope noticed you appreciate that it's an homage but yeah, to, yeah, for those yeah. that can't see he's got he's got hoonigan written about 40 yeah. times on his body which by the way i was planning on driving our r33 skyline gtr here which would have been fine because it's just a white car but instead i drove our c8 that's also covered in hoonigan logos <laughs> and i was like man i hope there's not valet <laughs> so i just street parked just because i didn't I noticed I, you walked in I yeah didn't notice i was that. like i was like oh, i'm wearing the hoonigan shirt we're driving the hoonigan car that's kind of a bit much right so but, we um but anyway back to my the final point on that yeah, that i was yeah. gonna say was but i hate what hollywood has done for what people expect out of car action yes right because you go back to some of those original films ronin is a great example you know fantastic and simple but if you go back and watch it now it's not really that good no, it was good in its era. And it's got some massive. It's got some. It's got some um, continuity issues that are almost insulting to people that like cars. You know, if you yeah, watch yeah. it, well, the, 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 the S eight becomes an A eight midway through. But the, and there's the, things and, like and that. When, the, when there's there's a couple of wheel shots that are of a five three five M five three five I, not an M five. I mean, I I twitch when I see that. But we're sad people. <laughs> but but actually, at the time, it was it was the most honest bit mm-hmm. of car action I'd seen. Yep, and and it was something that. And like I always go back to Ronan as like an inspiration for me, but but then it got to the point where I mean I think in the last Fast and Furious they sent a car to the moon, right? Like it's literally gotten to that point where like it's so over the top that you know for us when we're making the Gymkhana films, it's like our whole thing is to just make it, it not to make it believable because no, it is believable because it's real. It's an interesting point. You know? When you're when you've been in a space and something massive comes along and redefines that space in a way that you're not comfortable with. In, yeah. And quite often it's through the prism of Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. It's dangerous because what happens is that all the other people in the in your in your area think, well, if that's what gets you the eyeballs, we need to be more like them. Yeah. And so actually the Fast and Furious had a profound effect on on stuff like the driving in Bond films. Suddenly mm-hmm. it became a drifterthon. Now I love sliding a car better than the, you know everyone else. I love doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think every car chase should be just a beautiful series of slides. That's yeah. not how you drive in a car chase. It's much more, it's edgier. It's about position. It's about trying to get away from someone. And Fast and Furious has definitely had a malign influence on yeah. the driving we see in all films because there's yep. an expectation it has to be like Tokyo yep. Drift. Well, I think that, you know, I think Chumkana had a major influence in car commercials. Yeah. I mean, this is something, do you know Jeff Swart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff had said this to me. Jeff said, you know, you guys came out with Chumkana and all of a sudden, every ad agency wanted to make what you guys are making. He's yeah. like, it became this thing. And we we're thinking, wait, yesterday we were told that, like, you know, the wheels can't leave the ground and there can never be tire smoke. And now all of a sudden, this is what you want. Right. And I had a bunch of my friends who I grew up with went into the ad agency world and they used to, you know, they would text me and be like, oh, sat through another presentation where half the slides are your film, you know, and it it became this thing that like everybody wants that 
crazy moment to the point that it's too much. Like yeah. I literally watched like a Toyota Camry commercial the other day of a Camry like sliding wildly <laughs> through the streets. And I'm like, no, like that's not what that not everything needs to slide. Right. Yeah. Like so. But with that, not everything needs to slide. thing is something funny because I had the conversation about you uh, recently about you made sliding cars. OK to the snobby elite like you were the one who would throw like you know a 911 gt2 you know out into a corner and it was cool because even when in you know even when it's zero to 60 we weren't like really big fans of drifting at zero to 60 we were motorsports guys right yeah. we liked motorsports less than showmanship type stuff yeah and you know, but I think that there was some, but that, that doesn't mean that we didn't try to throw cars sideways for photos and stuff. But I think you bridged that gap for like the purest, let's say, I mean, whether you think that's a good word or a bad word, but you bridge the gap of purists with the like, quote unquote, you know, hoon culture, the I, idea yeah, of driving was. a car at its there limit. There were a few of us that were, had that role of conduit between the two worlds. And I still get a lot of shit from people that just go, can't you just drive it in a straight line? Yeah. Well, you and I, Tiff was another one. Tiff who, and I, Richard Mead, and there's other people yeah, like in that yeah. space that, that did that. But it was, yeah, I, I that this, that Fast and Furious thing, after this, I'll go away and think about that. I might watch one. Should I watch the first one or not? Can I, I we should watch it together, I okay. feel like. Yeah. Because I, well, I saw a clip. I wanted, to, I wanted to do a reaction video of Ken Block watching it, so maybe we can do like a series of that. Like Ken Block watches Fast and Furious for the first time. Uh, Chris Harris watches Fast and Furious for the first time. We can compare <laughs> notes. So, yeah. so, so uh, we we've rattled on nicely. We're going to draw it to a conclusion in a minute. So, just very quickly, tell me where it goes forward now. Hoonigan's a big business, and um, you've you've joined other partners, and and where do you want to take it? I mean, I you know. I've now I've now done fourteen, well plus recoil, fifteen Jimkana actually sorry, sixteen Jimkana style films right from the actual Jimkana films to the Climbkana series to the stuff we've done with Travis Pastrana the stuff we've done with BJ Baldwin as well as some other stuff in between and um you know I I really would love to take that style of driving and mix it more into the Hollywood world and the, and the scripted world. So I think like, that's my aspiration. Do you need any need, need stuff of low level stunt drivers? Cause I, I know a small Brown man that might need a bit of work soon. We just got to see, like the good thing is, is most of Hollywood short. So I can actually get you to double for some people. So, you know, I'm not talking front line. Can I be like the third drifter at the back that's just sort of clipping curbs and getting you it realize wrong? the guy in the back is, has the hardest drive. Yes. Right? The guy in the front has the easy one. It's the follow that's the difficult one. Lead is the easy line. Um, yeah, maybe I can, maybe I'll put you in. You might, you know, it depends on who our lead actor is. So what are you now? Five, three? Yeah, well, I'm getting shorter. Yeah, Five, could. four. Do you guys measure in feet and inches in we England? We do, Or yeah. is it sticks? We do. I just figure if you use stones for weight, do you guys use sticks for height? That's rude. <laughs> I'm American. <laughs> we, I'm, I'm not very big, but I, but I also, I fit most cars, so I'm lucky, actually. That does help me. I hate that I'm tall, to be quite honest. I mean, being tall was fantastic from about like 19 till I met my wife. And at this point I have no use for it anymore. <laughs> That's a wonderful summary of it. But yeah. motive, but motive, there are some motor vehicles that you simply wouldn't get into. Oh, no, I mean, one of my favorite being tall suck stories is, um, you know, before McLaren is the McLaren we know today and McLaren made the greatest car of all time. Right. Yeah. So, and I went to, um, 
Wyclef Jean, you know, Wyclef, yeah, yep. the rapper. I went to his house while I was there for rides and he had a McLaren F1 sitting in his driveway. And he said, he, you know, and I'm just, I'm just, he can tell that I, this is this moment for me. Like, I don't even want to touch it. And you're, also, just you're not looking at him. You're no, like, no, like, no, I him. Yeah, I was just like, whatever, man. Go away till November. I need to stare at this thing. And I'm just sitting there looking at this. And he said, go on, take it for a spin. I was like, and I get in and I couldn't get the car into gear because my leg was so big next to the steering wheel that I just couldn't get, I couldn't have my leg on the throttle and have the selector in first gear or second gear. I just, I mean, I was like, maybe I should just try to roll it out in fourth. Like I could not physically do it. And there's this moment to drive this amazing vehicle that, you know, he just bought it because, I mean, he does love cars. I won't take that away from him. But it was a big status thing for him to own a McLaren at the time, right? So it was this opportunity to drive something. And I was like, I had to get back out and be like, yeah, I don't fit. And that was like one of those like crushing moments. And then another one was uh, I had got invited when, remember when Michelin used to do the like, come, you know, journalists, come drive a Formula One yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, didn't obviously. fit in that the either. Mc the McLaren F1 story. So I, I can't think of a bigger thwarted, with an opportunity situation than since probably layer cake when Daniel Craig gets beaten <laughs> up when Sienna Miller's coming out of the bathroom. It's right up there, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of, it's, so, it's, I, it's, actually, if anyone's got a story of not of being offered to drive a McLaren F1 and yeah. actually not being able to do it, tell us. Cause that's, yeah, it was, it was crushing. It was, it was, it was a crushing moment. And, and then he just kind of laughed about it, you know, like, but you, oh. you must've gone home and gone, what the f I think he turned to me and said, Well, at least you can slam dunk. And all I thought to myself was, eh, Not really. <laughs> oh my God. Well, look, Brian Scotto, um, that's a fantastic, quite long, but really involved and really interesting podcast. So um, go and look at the man's back catalogue. The Jim Carner films have stood the test of time. They're part of the canon of. Of our of our industry now, they're they're superb. Wish you all the very best of luck. It's good seeing you. It's been many years, and um, I'll see you again soon. But thank you on behalf of Collecting Cars, Brian Scotto. Thank you. Collecting Cars, the global online marketplace devoted to cars, bikes, and automobilia. A safe, smart, and simple auction experience for everyone. List for free. Sell for free hassle-free. Follow us on Instagram at Collecting Cars and also CollectingCars.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 